We are continuing this morning in our series in the Gospel of John, and today we're looking at part six, the story of Doubting Thomas, entitled, After the Pain, the Scars Remain. Would you bow with me once more? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that is within it, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each one of us here this morning. I pray for the boldness, for the power to speak the word that you've laid on my heart this morning and speak through me, uh, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one week ago Friday, in the late afternoon of April the 6th, that tragedy struck the prairies. The Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team were on their way to a playoff game in Nippon, Saskatchewan. With 29 people on board the team bus. Each one of those people were filled with thoughts of anticipation for a prairie ritual, an upcoming playoff hockey game. But then at the intersection of Highway 35 and Highway 335, about 300 kilometers north of Regina, the bus collided at full speed with a semi truck and trailer loaded with peat moss. The violent force of the impact obliterated the front of the bus and hurled both bus and semi into the ditch hundreds of meters away. Now, like many of you, when I first heard about this accident on Friday evening, the initial report stated that there were fatalities but no numbers given. But hearing about the nature of the crash, even though I hoped that the fatalities would be few from the few details that were given, I just had this sinking feeling in my stomach that this was going to be bad. And I simply prayed that evening, Lord, just please be with them. Whoever's injured, whoever's involved, just please be with them. Please help them. Then waking up Saturday morning, looking at the news, the report was even worse than I'd feared. Fourteen dead, many more injured, some critically As of today, the death toll stands at 16, with still more listed, two more listed in critical condition. And like you, I'm sure as you watched and heard about the unfolding coverage, and we saw those pictures of the players flashing across the screen, we felt grief. We felt grief at this tragedy, and I felt an added heaviness for the numerous countless families that would be directly affected, who I knew would just be in utter shock and completely devastated. And from first-hand experience, I know what that can look like, and I know a little bit of what it feels like. The shocking nature of a completely unexpected tragedy like this, one that immediately snuffs out life, especially of the young, the vibrant, it produces in us a grief unlike any other. It's like a giant boulder heaved into the middle of a calm pond. And the giant waves of grief inundate and nearly drown those nearest the center. But even those ripples can be felt by those much further away. For though we, a province away, not directly affected, and yet we still felt them. We still felt the grief, as did the entire nation from coast to coast. Even internationally, the nations paid attention and paid their respects. And so for a moment, captured by tragedy, united in grief, we paused. We paused, and a simple message went out. Pray for Humboldt. 
pray for Humboldt. Again and again we heard those words, pray for Humboldt. And I still find it utterly astonishing. I find it incredible that even now in our increasingly secular nation, when tragedies like this strike, and we are reminded instantly of how helpless we really are and of how fickle and brief life really is, that we still instinctively and collectively recognize our desperate need for a higher power to call upon. Someone greater than ourselves who can help us in our darkest hour and in our deepest pain. And of course, we as Christians, we know, we know from first-hand experience that this higher power is real. And we know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. When facing tragedy, that made all the difference for me. Because words fail when we're facing it and we're in the pain. But to know he is real makes all the difference. Because there we discover that Jesus Christ, he is the friend who weeps with us in our sorrow. He is the great physician who heals our wounded souls with his touch. He is the good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and leads us into new life beyond. And as a church family, we too have experienced tragedies firsthand. We know the shock of sudden death, of painful illnesses, of when the lives of parents, spouses, and children are suddenly cut short. And even though we know that Jesus is with us, we know that God is real, we too still struggle with these tragedies. And we still struggle in our grief, and we still struggle trying to make sense of it all. And so I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you that I have all the answers. I don't. I really don't. But I'm thankful that God's word does, if we can receive them by faith. And I'm utterly convinced that the better we understand and embrace God's truth now, by faith, the better equipped we are for not if, but when tragedy strikes. And I'll tell you why. It was six years ago, right here, on July 29th, 2012, that I spoke these words. It is most often the unexpected interruptions in life that leave the greatest mark on our lives. The sheer inevitability that these painful interruptions will happen means that we would be wise to consider in advance what our attitude should be and how we will respond in light of God's word. And I concluded that sermon with this admonition. My friends, may we resolve today not to write off the difficulties of life as things to only grit our teeth and get through, or to be avoided at all costs, or written off as tragic interruptions. May we instead resolve to embrace all aspects of life as sent from God, to be lived with him and by his strength one day at a time. Little did I know how quickly those words would be put to the test. It was just 11 days later, on August 10th, 2012, while Leanne and I were once again traveling home from Alberta. We had stopped in the parking lot of Wholesale Sports, what was then Wholesale Sports. It's since changed, but the Old Navy's still there in Regina. And sitting there in that parking lot, when my cell phone rang, and Bert informed me that Ashley Wolf, the wife of Henry, along with Henry's five-year-old son, Caden, 
and Henry and Ashley's one-year-old daughter, Jillian, had been in a head-on collision with a semi-truck and trailer and were gone. And I sat there in shock, in disbelief. I sat there hoping that somehow I had misheard. But finally the reality sunk in and then spent the next hours of the drive home just begging God to somehow save Henry and to surround him with his presence. And I don't know how. I really don't. I don't know how. But God did exactly that. He did. And over the days and weeks ahead, Henry learned that hundreds and even thousands of people had lifted him up in prayer. And they were praying for him. And he later told me that it had honestly felt like he had been picked up and carried through on a cloud of prayer. I, I have to say that to this very day, I've seen God do a lot of amazing things, but to this very day, it's the greatest miracle that I've ever personally witnessed up close is what God did for Henry. And Henry also told me later on that that sermon that I had preached back on July 29th called The Interruptions of Life, he had got the CD of that sermon and he had listened to it over and over and over again in his tractor and that through it God had ministered to him. Again, God's providence is a great mystery to me. I don't understand how it works, but I don't have to because I know that it does. That's what we have this morning as believers. We know that it does. God is real. His providence is real. His provisions for his children and for people are real. There is not one detail that escapes his notice or his attention. And we don't have to understand how it works, but we, through faith, we know that it does. And God ministers in and through all of these things. Does this take the pain away, however? Does it make it go away? No, it does not. But it gives us the faith to know that in our pain, God is with us. He will help us. He will heal us and will somehow bring about his purposes so that even our scars have a redemptive purpose for our good and God's glory. And we can see this truth revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I invite you to turn with me now to John chapter 20. And looking at verse 24, the famous story of doubting Thomas. John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25 say this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I have preached multiple sermons on this text, but in looking at this text again for probably the the thousandth time this past week, I was astonished to discover something that I had never noticed before, something that was right there that I'd entirely overlooked every other time I've read this story. And the thing that I'd overlooked that just jumped out at me is this. Thomas was in a state of grief. It seems obvious, right? Thomas is grieving. But I'd always been so focused on Thomas's doubt that I'd overlooked the obvious. Here is Thomas grieving the sudden, shocking, and horrific death of his Lord and Master. 
In fact, to use modern-day terminology, we might even say that Thomas was traumatized. Remember that in less than a 72-hour period of time, he has run for his life when Jesus was arrested in the garden. He's gone into hiding and probably heard the crowds chanting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then from a distance, he sees the grim spectacle of Jesus hanging from a cross, crucified between two convicts. And then he hears the final report that he's dead and buried. Through this time, Thomas will have gone through such a wild range of emotions, and now we see that here he is in his deep grief that this defense mechanism of his starts kicking in. And this is the first one we notice, is that Thomas isolated himself. In his deep grief, Thomas had to be alone. He isolated himself from the other disciples. Now, we don't know exactly why, but for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. And I suspect that Thomas was one of those types of people who liked to be alone with his grief. One of those who doesn't like to have others see him cry. One of those guys who always wants to keep a stiff upper lip. Of course, I hope you already know that no matter how tough you think you are, when you're faced with tragedy, crying is not a sign of weakness. And no matter how much you feel like you need to run off to, to just be alone, to crawl into some deep, dark hole in your grief, it is absolutely essential to be together with others. When you can't hold yourself up, there is no shame in letting someone else hold you up. In fact, we are commanded as believers to bear one another's burdens. We are commanded to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. Quite simply, we need each other. And here we see Thomas isolated himself and so missed out on Jesus' appearance and his comfort and his speaking peace to them. And I believe that so often, like him, if we isolate ourselves, we too can miss out on the presence of Christ and the comfort and the peace that he brings to us through others in God's family. And so we need to make sure that we don't fall into the same snare that Thomas did. It's good to be together. Next, we notice that Thomas deeply desired a personal touch from Jesus. Listen again to his words. He says, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now again, here it's so easy for us to focus in on Thomas's doubts. And we can condemn him and say, oh, Thomas, what a doubter, what a bad guy for doubting that something impossible happened. But I believe if we're really honest, we can easily see ourselves in Thomas's statement. In fact, I see myself mirrored in Thomas's reaction here. His, his doubts are so natural, they're so human. The disciples are telling him something impossible has happened. Jesus is alive when we know for a fact he's dead, he's gone, we saw it, he's buried. And now they're saying, no, we saw him, it's a, he's alive. And Thomas doubts and he says, you may have experienced something, but I have not. I need, I need a personal touch from Jesus. And I think in a similar way, you know, all of us here today, we've all heard testimonies from others of how Jesus has somehow come into their lives and how he brought healing and hope probably through trials or tragedies. And these stories are inspirational. But while we may be happy for them, 
we deep down, I think so, so much of the time, I know I've had this before, I've heard someone else's powerful testimony of what Jesus has done for them, but deep down what I really want to know is this. Can Jesus do the same for me? I see it's so real for you, but I haven't experienced it yet. Can Jesus do the same for me? And like Thomas, we don't just want to take someone else's word for it. We don't just want comfort from others. We deeply desire to experience a personal touch from Jesus for ourselves. And guess what? Even though Thomas, we see him here wallowing in his grief, dealing with it in a, in a poor way, isolating himself, and we see later that he's gently rebuked for his doubt, Jesus graciously gave Thomas exactly the personal touch that he so desperately needed. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. He finally learned his lesson. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. There's a number of amazing things we see in this exchange. The first is I want you to take note of what seems like an arbitrary point, but it was one week later. One week later. Jesus didn't reveal himself to Thomas immediately. He waited until the right moment. And like Thomas, we're impatient. We want Jesus to prove himself to us right now. We want to experience a touch right now. We want our doubts removed right now. But God is not in the business of instant gratification. God is in the long-term business of healing, shaping, and molding us for eternity with him. He will not be hurried along, nor will our grief. In fact, most times, the deeper our grief, the longer the healing takes. I know that many people here today still have grief near the surface, even years later. But this is why we need to wait patiently on the Lord in our grief, and also why we need to be patient with others in their grief, and continue to hold them up in prayer and support. Because, of course, through no, no one's fault, no one does this intentionally, but the reality is that life goes on after tragedy. Life goes on. And in another week or two, the news cycle and the nation will have moved on from the Humboldt Broncos. But Humboldt will not have moved on. Humboldt has changed forever. And though it too in time will move on in its own way. The community will never again be the same. Though it will move on, it will be changed. And this is why we must not forget others around us, who even after much time has passed, still grieve. Because though we heal, we do not move on as the same. We have been changed in some way. And through the grace and the power of God, we can move on changed somehow for the better, even in our grief. Because this is where we go to the miraculous power of God. I want you to notice that though Jesus was healed, he had been raised from the dead, his scars still remain. Jesus is healed. 
The sin, the death, everything, finished, complete. He declared it. It is finished. He has risen glorious from the grave, and yet he still has scars. And it begs the question, why? Why does he still have scars? You know, God's power, if it's great enough to raise him from the dead, it's great enough to remove the scars, right? He's got the resurrection body that he is going to be in right now. He's going to have it for eternity. If he wanted to remove the scars, it would have been a simple matter of poof. The scars are gone. Why did he keep them? This is what I believe. I believe that Jesus kept the scars for Thomas. And he kept them for us. Jesus kept the scars for Thomas and for us. He kept the scars because he knew that Thomas and those of us like Thomas, we would need them. We would need them to prove to us that Jesus really did defeat death. And that because he is alive forever, that through faith in him, we can live forever. Moreover, we need Jesus' scars to remind us just how much he loves us. And to remind us that when we are in the middle of our grief and pain, he knows exactly what we're going through. Jesus knows our pain. And so he is able to help us in our weakness and in our pain and in our grief. So that in God's providential design, like Jesus, after he has healed us, we will still bear the scars. But like Jesus, even our scars can be used to help others and to bring glory to God. There's an incredible story, a true story, that took place in the year 1818 in France. A boy named Louis, age nine, was sitting at his father's workshop. The father was a harness maker, and the boy loved to watch his father work the leather. Someday, father, said Louis, I want to be a harness maker just like you. Why not start now, said his father. He took a piece of leather and drew a design on it. Now, my son, he said, take the hole puncher, the hammer, and follow this design. But be careful that you don't hit your hand. Excited, the boy began to work. But when he hit the hole puncher, it flew up out of his hand and pierced his eye. He lost the sight of that eye immediately. Later, sight in the other eye failed as well. Louis was now completely and totally blind, in darkness. A few years later, Louis was sitting in the family garden when a friend handed him a pine cone. As he ran his sensitive fingers over the cone, an idea sprang to his mind. He became enthusiastic and began to create an alphabet of raised dots on paper so that the blind could feel and interpret what was written. Thus, Louis Braille opened up a whole new world for the blind, all because of a tragic accident. A young boy going blind from an accident can only be viewed as a tragic interruption to a promising life, because we consider only the things that he would have been robbed of. But in thinking that we are the ones blind to the amazing triumph that his life became, which would not have been possible had it not been for the tragic accident. And so it's with great humility and not being glib at all when I say that, yes, on April 6th, Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and the nation experienced a tragic interruption. 
And we don't make light of anyone's pain or anyone's grief. The, the number one thoughts that cross my mind is of those young men. How many of them were ready to, to meet the Lord? How many of them were prepared for eternity? And yet, because of everything that I've learned in my life and through God's word, I immediately began to wonder, what is God doing through all of this tragedy? Because I know he's doing something. This is not a surprise to God. These things don't catch him off guard. Oh no, I wasn't paying attention. That's not how God works. And so I just kept praying and asking, God, what are you doing here? Because I know you are going to do something. And the first clue came when I heard the report that the head coach, Darcy Haugen, was described as a man of deep faith who just loved Jesus. And then at the Sunday night vigil, which I'm sure some of you watched, with the Prime Minister and countless other dignitaries in attendance and the entire nation paying attention, many watching live from coast to coast, the Humboldt Broncos team chaplain, Pastor Sean Brandau, shared an inspired and powerful message in which he said, quote, I talked to Coach Darcy numerous times about what we should be doing for chapel with the team. And we sat down at the beginning of the year. It's written on the back of the Broncos truck. Maybe you haven't even noticed. It says, character determines success. I'm not going to lie to you. Your boys aren't completely full of character. They cheat in every single game that we do at chapel. I know that's for sure. They're imperfect. But Darcy has done an incredible job of bringing together men who desire character. So we wanted to talk about character. And a week or two in, Darcy just turned to me and said, Sean... You've got to just tell them about Jesus. Don't worry about all that character stuff. They just need Jesus. I would do Darcy a dishonor and a displeasure, and I would do myself the same, and I would do anyone who is a Christian if I tried to give you a pat answer. And here's a list of things you can do to feel better. You need Jesus. He's walked here. He's walked at first, and death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. He's alive, and he sits at the right hand of God on the throne, and he's in control. It doesn't feel like it, but he is. I feel very much like one of our chapels today that we did in the pool. I told the guys that you get a little activity here, put out a bunch of pieces in the pool, and they had to take turns as a team to dive under the water and swim over. And they could only do what they could at what they could with one breath. And when they had to come up for air, they were done. I never realized how real that would be. One breath. Our life is just a vapor. What will you do with the one breath? Each breath that you have left, what are you going to do with it? Will you seek the God who has walked and who has died to show his love and his concern and his care for you? Or will you get bitter and angry and frustrated? Come to the God of comfort. These powerful words and many more were broadcast from coast to coast. Millions of people have heard them, including our Prime Minister, our government, and others around the world. What God will do with these words, what God will do with these testimonies, is his business. But I know he's doing a lot, more than we can imagine right now. I think eternity will only tell the full story of what God is right now bringing about through tragedy. And yes, we grieve. And yes, it's tragic. 
But because of God, we have hope. We have a future, and we know that he is bringing about good. Somehow, he is bringing about good through tragedy. And so we go to the God of comfort because we know he is real. And my friends, I don't know what you've all been through in your life. I know some of it, but I don't know it all. And I don't know what you may currently be dealing with. And I especially don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tragedies we may face yet as a church family. But here's what I do know. I know and am utterly convinced that no matter what we will face in the future, God will be with us. He will carry us. He will heal us. And even our scars can and will be used by him for others' good and for God's glory. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of how you work. Your providence, your ability to take care of every detail is mind-boggling. It is awesome. We don't understand it. And yet we see the evidence of it all around us. We see the evidence of it in our lives. We see the evidence of it again through a tragedy in Humboldt. And so, Father, as we grieve with them, as we lift them up in prayer, may we also pray with hope that you are bringing about miracles through this tragedy that only you could do, that you are bringing about healing, and that through this, Lord, I am so persuaded, I am so convinced that you are bringing people into your kingdom that would not have come otherwise. And through this, Lord, we simply humble ourselves to acknowledge you are God. We trust you, that all your ways are good, even in our pain, even in our tragedies, even in our darkest hours, you are good. You are in control, and that you can use even our scars to point to your good and your glory, as you did with the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you our scarred Savior, who even now bears the marks of what you did for us to purchase our redemption and pardon. And we look to you with hope because you are able to help us. You've been there and you overcame. And so, Lord, today I pray for anyone here today who's dealing with grief in any way. Be their hope. Be their healer. Be their comforter. And, O Lord, bring about their healing in a powerful way, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, all of these things. Amen.